want to talk to you this morning about the power of a promise. You know, the Bible is filled with promises that God has made to us to, to encourage us and to point us in the right direction and to help us to keep on keeping on in life. Back in the 1950s, there was a man, he was a student of the Bible, and he set aside what turned out to be 18 months to count up all the promises in the Bible. Now, it's interesting, the Bible has over 31,000 verses in it. And so as he was reading through the Bible, all these verses, every time he came to a promise, he made a note of it, he calculated it. And at the end of a year and a half, he, had, he tabulated up that there are 7,487 promises in the Bible. That was reported in a Time Magazine article on Christmas Eve, 1956, 7,487 promises. So that means that when you're reading your Bible, about every four or five verses, you're gonna come across a promise from God, something that he has committed himself to do on your behalf. Now, some of these promises are what we would call conditional promises. For example, it says in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, whoever covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sins will have mercy. And so there's a conditional promise that God will give us mercy, but we have to confess our sins, turn from our sins and forsake our sins. Conditional promise. Some of the promises are unconditional. Hebrews 13, five, God said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Doesn't matter what we do, whether we're good or bad or what we do. If we belong to God, he's never gonna leave us and he's never gonna forsake us. But then there's some of these promises, it could be conditional or unconditional, that God the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing to our mind and bringing to our heart in a very personal way. The old-fashioned preachers used to would say that God would quicken these promises to the person's heart. In other words, sometime you're having your Bible reading and you come across a, a promise from the Bible. I've read this. I read one of my verses yesterday, and it was just like God personalized that to me. Sometimes you might be driving the car down the road, and you're thinking about your life and your situation, your family, and where you are right now. And out of the blue, God will just put a verse in your mind and it applies to your situation. Now, it's interesting, and let me just, don't, don't turn there, but just listen to this verse. In Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 25, it says, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. And so as we think about these promises of God, 7,487 of them, what are these promises? They're good news to us from a distant land. They're good news from heaven. God from heaven is speaking to us and God is making promises. Now, before we get into our primary text for today, I want us to look at some promises on the screen because it may be today, in fact, it's most likely that all of us here, especially some today, would say more than anything else, I need a fresh word from God. I need God to speak to me about what I'm going through in my life. And so let's just see, we're going to put four different verses, but let's just see if any of these verses are to you good news from a distant land. The first one is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Notice what it says. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So God has made a promise. God is saying to us, as you live your life for me, 
trusting me, loving me, trying to serve me. None of us is perfect, of course. God says there may be times in your life when a weapon is fashioned against you. It is formed against you, an attempt to defeat you, discourage you, perhaps even to destroy you. But God has made this promise, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And so it's a tremendous, tremendous promise. Now, another promise that I love, probably we're all familiar with this from the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. How many things worked for good? by the way, how many things? All things, everything. He doesn't say all things are good. Some things we go through in life are bad or they're hard. But God says, for those who belong to me, all those things are gonna work together for good. And so that promise is like good news from a distant country. Here we are living our lives. And think, Man, I feel like a weapon has been formed against me, maybe physically or financially or in some other way. I feel like I'm in a battle now and a weapon has been formed against me. God says, don't worry about it. That weapon, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Not only that, all things are gonna work out together for your good and my glory if you'll keep trusting me. And then notice this next one from the book of Psalms. I love this promise. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Let's say that together. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. I want you to say it louder with a little gusto, okay? Say it again. One, two, three. Everything we go through in life, God says, I'm going to perfect that. Now, that's a good word from a distant land because many of the things we go through in life are imperfect and messed up. But God says, I will perfect that. One translation says, I will complete that. The ESV says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. So here we are in life, living our life. A weapon is formed. God said it won't prosper. Okay, good, God, it's not gonna destroy me. I'll just try to hang on and survive. God says, it's not just about survival. I'm gonna take what the enemy meant for evil. I'm gonna turn it around for good. All things work together for good. Okay, God, this is good. God says, not only that, I'm gonna perfect. I'm gonna complete everything that concerns you. That's a pretty broad promise. I mean, I will perfect that which concerns you. Everything that is of concern to us is a concern to God, and it is included in that promise. And then one other verse from the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a promise. That every need we have, and in, in, in this room today, we all have needs. If we had time, we could just, here's my need, here's what I need, here's what I feel, maybe spiritually or mentally or emotionally, physically, vocationally, financially, relationally. God, here's my need. God says, I know what your need is, and I make you a promise. It's good news from a distant land. I will meet that need in my own time and in my own way. So with that being said, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 23, we're going to look at one promise today that God made to the Apostle Paul at a crucial and critical time in his life. Of the 7,487 promises, this is one of them, and this is the promise that God made to Paul. Now, interestingly, by, by the time we get to Acts 23, Paul has completed three missionary journeys. By the time we get to Acts 23, Paul has already written some of the books that formed our New Testament. And so he has, he's planted a lot of churches. He's led a lot of people to Christ. He's had a great ministry. If he died here, we would say, well, he still had a great ministry. But he didn't die in Acts 23 because God wasn't finished with him. Now, in Acts 23, Paul is in Jerusalem 
and he has been arrested because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And he's in what we might call a jail there in Jerusalem. They call it the barracks here. And he's uh, in a bad way. And Paul uh, just needed a fresh word from God. Now, before we get to the promise, I want you to look at the setting of this promise. Acts 23, look in verse 10. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might, might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. And so this promise from God came to Paul when he was in this jail, in these barracks, he was under arrest. Have you noticed in your life, I have in mine, that many times God speaks to us and gives us a word when we're going through the darkest, most difficult circumstances of our life. Well, that certainly was true for Paul. And notice not only the setting of the promise, but notice the timing of the promise. So he's in the barracks and then in verse 11, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, it doesn't say the first night that he was there. No, Paul had to spend a whole night and the next day in this jail setting before God spoke to him. And sometimes it's like that with us. We're like, God, I need a word from you. And we keep living and a day goes by and another day goes by. God, I still need a word from you. God, I don't know that I have a word from you. God, what do you want me to do? I need a word from you. Sometimes we have to just wait and through a quiet time or through a sermon or through the Holy Spirit, through a song, God will speak and God will give us the word. Now, here's Paul in the darkness of this barracks, this prison, and notice the promise that Jesus Christ spoke to him. He said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The promise was not only to be of good cheer and so on, but the promise was you're going to Rome. Now, by the time we read Acts 23, Paul had already written the letter to the Romans. <laughs> and in that letter, he had expressed to them his desire to eventually go to Rome. Here he is in Jerusalem. He's being arrested. It's so dangerous, the commander thought they were going to just rip him to pieces. So he takes him to the barracks, really to protect him. And Jesus shows up the next night and says, Paul, I know you can't see it now. I know it doesn't make sense in your circumstance, but you are going to Rome. What was God saying? God was saying, Paul, your life will not end in Jerusalem. The battle you're facing here will not be the end of you. You are going to Rome. Now, with that said, I want us just to kind of hang out thinking about this today, and I want you to think about your life and what you're going through. We're not in Jerusalem. We're in Pasadena, and we're not in the barracks. We're in the Baptist church, right? Here we are. But as you think about your life, I want you to think about how this promise applies to you because what God said to Paul has this application to all of us. I'm not finished with you yet. Some today may think, I just don't see anything good in my future or anything that God is gonna do in my life. Well, I'm telling you this, God's not finished with you yet. Now, I want to make some comments about this promise that we can all relate to. First of all, when God makes a promise, the promise itself sometimes and oftentimes seems 
absolutely impossible. We see this all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, God said to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Well, they were well past the age to be able to have a child. It was impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. In the New Testament, God said to Zacharias and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. They were too old. Nothing is impossible with God. God said to Mary, you're going to have a baby. She was a virgin, completely impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And we see in the life of Paul that God had made this promise, but it seemed that it never would be fulfilled. It seemed that it would be impossible. Now, you just looked at verse 11 in Acts 23. Look in verse number 12, because the very next verse after God made this promise to Paul, notice what we read. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Think about this. As soon as God made the promise to Paul, here's the devil working behind the scenes. In this case, working through these Jewish people, and they make a pact, an oath, an agreement. We're not going to eat any food or drink any water until we have killed Paul. So we could say it this way, based on the verse that we just looked at, a weapon now has been formed against the apostle Paul. These people have made a commitment to kill the apostle. And so maybe Paul was thinking about when he heard about this, he knew the Old Testament. Maybe he thought about that verse, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And maybe that gave him great peace. Well, it was so bad in Jerusalem that the commander there decided to send Paul north to northern Israel to a place called Caesarea. And he sent a lot of troops and guardsmen with him. And so now Paul is taken to Caesarea He's under arrest still, but he's in a safer place, and he has to spend two years there waiting trial. He's on trial for his faith in Jesus Christ, but as the authorities are trying to verbalize exactly what it is he's done wrong and illegal, they really can't come up with anything. And so finally, Paul said, look, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Rome. I want to appeal to Caesar and let him hear my case. They said to Paul, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. And so now Paul, along with many other prisoners, there are about 276 people on this ship now, and they set sail from Caesarea to Rome. Now, turn to chapter 27 of Acts, and I want you to see what happens on this, what we would call on this cruise or on this boat ride to, uh, to Rome. In verse 14, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a Eurycliden. We might call this a hurricane. And they could not head into the wind. And so they let the ship drive or they let it, let it be driven. Verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after... Uh, after long abstinence from food, in fact, later in the chapter we read, for two weeks they had had no food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And so Paul had told them, this is not a good idea to head this direction in this weather. But they didn't take his vice. Now they're in a storm and Paul is basically saying to them, I told you so. I told you this was not a good idea and you refused to listen. But look in verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart, be of good courage, have faith, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. It may be today in this service that God takes that verse and God applies that verse to your life. I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, 
uh, maybe some damage on the outside, but you're not going to die from what you're going through. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Verse 25, therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. And so now they're out at sea. They're in this terrible storm. Their lives are threatened. And it looks like there's no way in the world that they're going to be able to make it to Rome. And yet God shows up again. And God gives Paul another promise. And God says, remember what I said to you back in Jerusalem. You're not going to die until you make it to Rome. I will fulfill my purpose for your life. And it will not be fulfilled until you get there. Now, if we had been on that ship with Paul and with his companions, and here's the storm, and here are the waves, and here's the wind, and here's the ship about to capsize and about to, about to sink, we would have been thinking, there's no way in the world that I'm, we're going to make, there's just no way that we're going to survive this. That's what we would have been looking at. But one pastor said it this way, when God looked down from heaven and God saw the apostle Paul and all these people in that ship, God didn't see the storm. God didn't see the waves, and God didn't see the ship getting in bad shape. When God saw Paul in that ship, you know what God saw? God saw all the letters that Paul had not yet written that would need to be written for our New Testament. God saw Ephesians. I'll tell you what was in that ship. Not just Paul and not just all these people. In that ship was Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 2 Timothy, all the letters that Paul would one day write when he got to Rome. And had Paul gone down on that boat ride in that ship, had he drowned at sea, those books never would have made it into the Bible. And so God's looking at that and God's saying to himself, there's no way he's going down because I'm not finished with him. I have not fulfilled my purpose in his life yet. His work is not done. Think about what would have happened had Paul gone down and drowned on this, in that sea during this storm. That would mean we wouldn't have any of those letters in our Bibles. And so all those verses from the, I think about some of the verses in those books. Without those books, we wouldn't know Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. We wouldn't know Ephesians 6 about putting on the armor of God. We wouldn't know Philippians 4.13 that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We wouldn't know that we can be content in every situation. We wouldn't know that God's going to meet our every need. We wouldn't know those verses in Colossians 1.27 that Christ in us is the hope of glory. 2.10 that we're complete in him. 3.2 to set our mind on things above. We would be living our lives down here without any of those promises and any of those words from God had Paul gone down. And so Paul saw the the storm, but God saw those letters and God said, you're not going down because I'm not finished with you yet. And then if that's not bad enough, now remember, you still listen, say amen. I want to make sure you're with me on this. God back in Jerusalem made a promise. You're going to Rome. Rome? I'm, in a, I'm under arrest in Jerusalem. There's a plot out to kill me. Yeah, but you're going to Rome. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. On the way to Rome, they get in the terrible storm. Yeah, but you're still going to Rome, Paul. You haven't written Ephesians yet. You're going to Rome. Well, if that's not bad enough, this ship actually did have a shipwreck on an island called Malta. Look in chapter 28 in verse 3, because it finally looked like they were in at least a fairly safe place. But it says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper, that is a poisonous snake, came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when this happened, the people who were looking at that said, well, 
this man must be a murderer, and now, you know, he's getting what he deserved. Well, then after a while went by, he didn't die, and they said, well, he must be a god. Well, he wasn't a murderer, and he wasn't a god. He was just bitten by a snake, but the snake didn't kill him because God wasn't finished. All that to say today, when God makes a promise to us, whether it's one of the ones I put on the screen or some other promise, when God makes a promise, it may seem impossible for that promise to be fulfilled in your situation. But I'm telling you, when God makes a promise, that promise will come to pass. Tell you something else about the promises of God. When God makes a promise, the promise is often delayed. God made that promise to Jerusalem, you're going to Rome. Well, he spent some time going from Jerusalem to Caesarea, two years in Caesarea, many months from Caesarea to Rome. May have taken close to three years before he got to Rome, but God made the promise, and the promise was fulfilled. I was writing this down in my notes, and I wanted to read this sentence to you, because sometimes God does make a promise. Maybe that one in Psalm 138, God says, I will perfect that which concerns you. And you think, God, this family situation is not perfected. You know, this physical situation is not completed. And God, I know you made the promise and I believe it, but it's not coming to pass. Remember this, God's delays, sometimes God does delay. God's delays are for our development. God made Abraham and Sarah that promise. They were gonna have a son. They had to wait 25 years. God made Joseph a promise that one day he would be a powerful ruler in Egypt. Joseph had to wait 13 years before that promise was fulfilled. God made Moses a promise, you're gonna lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses had to wait 40 years before that promise was fulfilled. And so sometimes when God makes a promise, there's a delay, but anytime, you may be in a delay today. And God, what's taking so long? God, when are you gonna work this situation out? God's delays are always for the purpose of our development. And he's developing our faith and he's developing our character. So just because it hasn't happened yet, that doesn't, if God's made you a promise, it will happen and you'll, you'll live to see it happen. And then the third thing I, I've noticed here, when God makes a promise, the promise will ultimately be fulfilled. Now in Acts 28, look in verse, 20, verse 16. Acts 28, 16. It simply says this, Luke is writing this. Luke was the doctor who was traveling with Paul on his journeys. And Luke says, now when we came to Rome, back in Jerusalem, in those barracks, Jesus showed up and said, you're going to go to Rome. Threatened on it. His life was threatened. Storm at sea, bitten by a snake. It seemed impossible. It seemed delayed. It seemed like it never would happen. But eventually what happened? Eventually, they made it to Rome, which says to me, when God makes a promise, that promise will eventually, ultimately, or one way or another be fulfilled in our lives. Now, I've been working on this sermon a lot this week, which is what you're supposed to do every week, right? And uh, I've been working on it here, there, and everywhere. And yesterday, I spent quite a bit of time on it. And late last night, say about nine o'clock, I was in my study at home, and I was finished with, really finished with the sermon, and, and I thought, God, if I had something at the end that would kind of drive the point home that, that when you make a promise, you're going to fulfill the promise. You know, from the, from the time God makes a promise to us until that promise is fulfilled, you know, between these two events, we're kind of out there in no man's land, we feel like. I mean, we're kind of in the in-between time. We're waiting on the promise to be fulfilled. God made it. 
Hasn't happened yet, but we're believing, we're trusting, we're hanging in there, but the promise hasn't been fulfilled. And I thought last night, I thought, you know, it's kind of like when that happens that we're in a waiting room and we're waiting on the promise that has been made to be fulfilled. We're waiting on God to bring good out of the bad. We're waiting on God to perfect that which concerns us. We're waiting on God to meet the need. We're waiting on God to restore the situation. We're waiting on God. He's made the promise. Seems impossible. Seems delayed. Many times between the promise being made and the promise being fulfilled, it's almost like we give up and say, I don't, I, it's just, I just don't see any way. Maybe God really didn't mean what he said as it pertains to me. So I'm sitting in the study and I'm thinking about that and I got my paper and I got a pen and I thought, you know, tomorrow is, is the day after Easter. It's such a great Easter and the day after Easter, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, you know I, just, I just wanted to do something different. And I, I just said a little prayer and I said, I haven't done a little poem in a long time and you're probably all very happy about that, right? That I haven't. But I haven't done one in a long time and I said, God, I'm gonna just write, I'm, if I feel any inspiration, I'm going to write a poem called The Waiting Room, and I ask you to just help me with this. I want to read this to you, then I'll stop today. This is not great literature, of course, by the way, but uh, it's something different on the day after, Sunday after Easter. And as I read this, I want you to think about your life. God made a promise. The weapon won't prosper. It's all going to be good in the end. I'll perfect that which concerns you. Don't worry about it. And in the meantime, I'm going to meet every need you have. That, these are the promises and you're here in the middle, you're, yeah, that's the promises, and I believe them, but man, they haven't been fulfilled yet. You're in the waiting room. Let me read you this. The waiting room is an anxious place. When we're sitting there, we need God's grace. What in the world will my fate be? That is the question that troubles me. In the waiting room, the wait seems long. I find myself nervous when I thought I was strong. What in the world will the outcome be? That is the question that troubles me. In the waiting room, I feel all alone. And to make matters worse, I forgot to bring my phone. How do you like that line? I had having a little trouble with that. But I was thinking the waiting room and the phone. So I forgot to bring my phone. Because I want you to picture you're in a doctor's waiting room. With, with no one to text and no one to call. Who will help me? make sense of it all. But then I remember that Jesus is here. He gives my heart courage and fills me with cheer. His presence becomes like that of no other. He's Proverbs' friend who sticks closer than a brother. He calms my mind down and he fills me with peace. Knowing he's here gives my worries release. He speaks to my heart and says, everything's okay. I'll never leave you, especially not on this day. I have a plan for your life, and until that plan's through, I'm nowhere near finished with you. What you're facing right now will not be the end. On the great road of life, it's only a bend. Christ's presence with me has changed my life's view. I know that he's real, and his promise is true. What in the world will my future be? That troubling question no longer troubles me. I've learned a great truth in the waiting rooms of life. God uses these places to rid us of fear and doubt and strife. So when you find yourself waiting for a week or a month or a year, 
Just look right beside you because Jesus is near. Amen? He's in the waiting room. He made the promise. He made the promise. Paul, you're going to Jerusalem. Yeah, but God, there's an assassination attempt on my life. I saw that, Paul. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You're going to, you're going to Rome. He gets in that ship, storm, water coming in, boat's about to capsize. All hope is lost. God, there's no way I can make it to Rome. Yes, you will, Paul. You're going to Rome because I made a promise. And when I made a promise, I keep the promise. And in that ship is not only you and your shipmates, but in that ship is Ephesians and Philippians and the other letters and the work that I have for you to do. You're going to Rome. But God, now I've been bitten by a snake and it's a poisonous snake. God, there's no way I can survive a snake. Yeah, you can, Paul, because I made a promise. And when I make a promise, I keep a promise. I encourage you today, between the time God made the promise until the time he gets you to your Rome, Enjoy his presence. That's the one thing Paul had. You know, I thought about this. Paul was no more in the will of God when he got to Rome than he was on the way to Rome. And Paul didn't have any more of Jesus when he got to Rome than he had on the way to Rome. He had Jesus in Jerusalem. He had Jesus out at sea. And he had Jesus who was bitten by that snake. I encourage you, in the waiting room, enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. So many times we think, man, if I can just get to Rome... If I can just have my dream fulfilled or my prayer answered or my need met, then everything will be okay. Friend, I'll tell you this. And as Christians, we have something better than we'll even experience in Rome. We have Jesus Christ with us on the way to Rome. Amen. We have something better than a good report from the doctor, as treasured as that is. We have Jesus Christ with us in the waiting room. And so we wait, but we don't wait alone. We wait with Jesus. In the waiting rooms of life, you have two things going for you. The presence of Jesus and an opportunity to honor him. What did Dr. Kendall teach us in his preaching through the years? To dignify the trial. We all have trials. Paul had a trial out there at sea. They all thought they were going to die. Even he thought they were going to die. But Jesus showed up and said, Paul, you're not going to die. Remember, I made a promise in Jerusalem. It will come to pass. You'll make it to Rome. It, that promise encouraged Paul so much that he said to his shipmates, take heart, everybody. Be of good courage. This ship's not going down. We're going to Rome. God told me so. And I believe God that it will be to me just as, who, as he said. We have an opportunity in the waiting room to do what? To enjoy the presence of Jesus. He's there with us. We have an opportunity to dignify the trial and say, God, my joy in life, my happiness in life, my enthusiasm about life is not dependent upon me getting to Rome, although I know you, I will because you promised it. My joy in life is dependent upon the fact that you are with me in the waiting room and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm saying this, much of life is a journey. We view life as a destination. As soon as I graduate from college, then I'll be happy. As soon as I get married, then I'll be happy. As soon as we have kids, then we'll be happy. And you parents would say, as soon as these kids graduate and move out, then we'll really be happy, right? When they go off the payroll, then we'll be happy, right? So much of life, we view it as a destination. So, you know, I'll be happy when I get a better job. I'll be happy when I get a bigger house. I'll be happy when I get a better car. I'll be happy when I retire. Friends, you keep playing that, you're going to be dead, 
Don't wait on anything to happen in order to be happy. Be happy where you are. I'm convinced Paul, back in that barracks in Jerusalem, now he wasn't happy with his circumstances, but I guarantee you this, he was happy with Jesus. When we get to heaven, talk to Paul. Paul, what was it like being in those, man, it was hot, it was dark, it was damp, it was crowded. I have a little claustrophobia. I never wrote about that, but I have a little of it. I didn't like being there. I was a little bit afraid, but in the middle of it all, Jesus showed up. Jesus, the same Jesus that showed up to me on the Damascus Road, showed up to me in that barracks there in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, Paul. Take courage. Be of good cheer. You have a desire in your heart to preach the gospel in Rome, and I'm here to tell you that desire will be fulfilled. He gives us the desires of our hearts, and he fulfills the desires of our hearts. Paul, what was it like out there in that in that ocean, man, when that storm came and you thought you were going to die, man, it was scary. I, I didn't even know we were going to make it. I myself had forgotten the promise. So Jesus showed up again, and he reminded me of what he had said originally. And I'm telling you, it comforted my heart. Paul would say to us today, between the time God makes the promise until God fulfills the promise, enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. Dignify the trial. Respond appropriately. And spend the time you have on the way to Rome, serving God the best way you can. Amen.